Welcome back to Bearcat Bounce Podcast. Brent Young, Aaron Smith. What up, what up? Our dear father is is back with the ones and twos. We'll, we'll chime in to, to try and raise the spirits from time to time. Because, again, and I hate saying this, Aaron, but Xavier wins the Crosstown shootout, 77 to 69. Uh, first off, score not indicative of the game, which no. is one thing I truly hate. When people look and they say, oh, wow, was this, was this a blowout the whole way? It was not. But there's plenty, plenty, plenty to dissect. We're not going to do the football variety where we kind of break it down play by play because that would kind of really cause a lot of heartache, if I'm being quite honest with you. Probably. But I think instead we got to just dive right in. Aaron, I want to hear your overall reactions because obviously – all around town, people have been giving their ones, their twos, giving their their thoughts, breaking down the the woe is me critiques of this team only through two games, through game number two. I want to hear your overall reaction of this game. Um, this game was kind of uh, it was kind of the David DeJulius breakout party. Uh, we got to actually see the guy because we didn't really get to see. Did Julius do his thing in uh, game one against Lipscomb? Um, but because he didn't really come on until the second half, I think he was held scoreless the first half against Lipscomb. Right. Um, but we got to see him take over, and he was not afraid of the moment by any means. No. Uh, even though, you know, we did end up missing five of six free throws there to, to finish off the game. Um, and that's kind of where really the nail in the coffin was. <clears throat> but outside of that, um, I, I really liked there was one offensive play where we got to see what a flash of what Saunders and Tari Eason can be. Okay. Um, and that kind of gave uh, excitement about what the future could, could hold for this team as they come together, as they gel. I think you really got to see the difference between a team that played five games versus a team that played two games. Right. Um, because of the, those differences were glaringly obvious. Um, and you, you kind of got to see – this team play up tempo because I think they struggled to go up tempo against Lipscomb. Um, and I, I don't think that, I don't think that really it was a difference of what team, I, I don't know. I think both Xavier and Cincinnati are almost at the same level from what I saw. I mean, like you said, it really wasn't a, a game where the score, the final score dictated how close the game actually was because it really only fell apart in maybe the last three to six minutes of the game. So outside of that, I mean, it was back and forth, back and forth, almost like a ping pong match. So it was, there were some questionable uh, rotations out there as Brandon's still figuring out what this team is uh, as he still works through some minor injuries, uh, at right. least that we know of. Uh, still right. not entirely sure what's going on with Zach Harvey there in, in his rotational time, whether it be him coming off of the injury that he had in the off season or whether he's just not feeling it on the court. I'm not really sure. You want me to clear that up? Yeah, that'd be great. He's had eight practices. That's, again, like, that's kind of what like I figured since, it was. Since the summer, he's had eight practices. Here's the other thing. You know where his minutes are going? To the most active player on the team. Davenport. Jeremiah Davenport. Right. I, I mean, you can't, you can't in one breath be excited about how much progress we've seen from Jeremiah Davenport and then in the next breath wonder where Zach Harvey is because – they're fighting right now for the same minutes. Sure. And Davenport is farther along. I, I, is there any question? Not at Davenport's all. Davenport's farther me. along. 
I just thought I'd address it because that's what it, I mean. That's yeah. where the questions are lying on on Twitter and everything else and on the boards. Right. I, I, I mean, I get it. But look, Zach missed a considerable a considerable amount of time with a bunch of lingering, nagging injuries. Mm. He's been back for about a week and a half. <clears throat> What's the one thing we always talk about with playing time? Play when you're new here. Well, it's not even just play the hot hand. It's trust. trust Who does the coach defense. trust to put on the floor? Right now, because he's earned it, Jeremiah Davenport has that trust of John Brandon, especially in a game that until the final minute, the lead was never bigger than six points either way. Right. Right. So, I mean, I get because Zach Harvey was a highly rated recruit and, and because that brings with it um, expectations from a fan base. I understand that. But in the here and now, Jeremiah Davenport is earning those minutes at the three. And if that's the case, that's, that's the case. Like it's up to Zach Harvey to earn those minutes back. Absolutely. To get those minutes back from him. Yep. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with this thing. Like I, I understand, you know, it's kind of jarring to people because they're expecting big things from Zach Harvey. And I still think Zach Harvey can do big things here, yep. but in light of the situation, as it's presented, he hasn't had the time on the court with everybody else. And, and here's what people don't think about in that context. Jeremiah Davenport has been the one playing that role in practice while Zach Harvey has been out. So that's where he's earned the trust. That's where he's earned, you know, that, that, that boost from John Brandon in terms of, I know I can put this kid on the floor. He's not going to kill us. He's going to play good defense. He's going to hustle. He's going to well, step into a three here and there. After the Lipscomb like, game, you'd be crazy not to have given him minutes. Right. So, look, I get why people are upset about not getting to see more of Zach Harvey. But right now, it, it's kind of in Zach's corner. He's got to be the one that that takes those minutes back or at least earns a split of those minutes with Jeremiah Davenport as the the bench whoever the bench player is off the or wing player is off the bench i mean if you, if you also think about it think about it if they were to play in arkansas pine bluff or or one of those schools you know where you're you're gonna win pretty convincingly then that might be able to give you give you a chance to have harvey on the court with a chance to kind of just mesh and find his footing beneath him while playing through the game but you're you're having high level high anxiety high adversity times where you're needing someone who can go out there who has had that practice time who has had the understanding of what he needs to do on each possession and can bring that extra energy because that's what has been needed out of and that's what jeremiah davenport has brought and then he's also splashing a little bit of offense to boot as well so yes i you, you know you see the the unfortunate play when harvey was in he checked in with about four minutes left in that first half he gave up the corner three to Adam Kunkel on kind of a an, an interesting play where he was trying to stop ball after a lay-in from David DeJulius. But still, I, I think this is another situation where you see the the pain of the, the MTE situation really affecting the team. Because if you were to get some some games leading into these, then maybe you are able to to tinker a little bit and, and have the ability to have your team find the footing with each other on the court instead of having to figure it out in practice. Well, and I don't know that that could have been more obvious than when you saw uh, the rotation of Mamadou and uh, Chris Vote out there at the same time, because I thought that was a horrendous rotation that they're running out there. 
Yeah. I, yeah, I, it's uh, that was a situation where, you know, say what you want about Dan Dockett. But if you rewatch the game, I did not rewatch. That would have been Painful. absolute <laughs> terrible. That would have been algebra class back in, you know, 2007. But instead, I, I watched the extended highlights. And one thing that Dockish said was when, when they subbed in Mamadou for Rapalus at the end of the second half around the, the six, six to five minute mark, Dockish said, you know, they're, they're subbing out Ivan Askes. I, I don't think that they need to. It does not look like he needs to be subbed out for. You saw after that, you know, and, and everyone loves Mamadou. Everyone wants Mamadou to, to be that player that he was at the end of the season last year. He just is not there yet. And you hope that he can get back there. It's going to take a lot of confidence building. It's going to take, you know, some probably some some made threes, some some excitement. But I also think he's a player that really feeds off the crowd. I agree. You know, I, think it's, I think it's one of those situations where you have no crowd there. It, at times it was a little loud, but no, nowhere near, obviously, what it is at a normal capacity. So, you know, he feeds off the crowd. That, that amps up his defense, amps up his alertness. But, you know, without that, you really have to be on your P's and your Q's, and you've got to be able to decide, hey, this is where i got to pick my spots. Mamadou's not quite there yet. So, as you mentioned, that substitution pattern. You saw it another time when, when Chris Vogt was taking the ball out of bounds after a made bucket from Xavier, where it was pretty blatantly obvious that that was supposed to be Mamadou inbounding the ball. And that's another thing where, where John Brandon mentioned the rotations haven't been figured out. The the way that he wants to have his team figured out just simply is not there yet. Well, and I think that as, again, you know, in hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? So, you know, you can sit here right now and be like, I don't know. I think Tari Eason maybe should have been in the game more, especially in the second half. Uh, Mikey Saunders, you know, maybe you figure out a way to get him in and, you know, spell DeJulius, although DeJulius was – really still he was he was on the whole game so I don't know how you get Saunders in there even if for just the energy boost but um, you know those are just I guess those are kind of my thoughts as I watched the game um, I didn't see a Xavier team out there dominating Cincinnati um, and, you know it always hurts to lose right. to those guys it's always a, a good guys losing the bad guys um, they were wearing black though right yes can we address that like w- what happened to secondary colors did we just quit <laughs> with the- with sparkly glitter I, what they the did, hell? They did have the glitter on the on the pants too. I don't a, understand. Cute touch. cute touch. It wasn't that. It was gross. Um, <laughs> I guess I don't. I don't know why they were wearing black again. I thought their colors were navy uh, because sometimes they throw in the royal blue. Sometimes they don't. I don't really know. There was there's a white in there sometimes, um, and then the the silver or glitter or whatever yeah. shade of of silver glitter you want to go with. Um, (laughs) but what the hell with the black? It was just, what are we doing here? Uh, It is, it is bleeding eyes situation with that. You know, Aaron, I, I tweeted it out, uh, after the game and with about a little over six minutes left, there was a transitional period where the Bearcats were up by four, had the ball and, uh, Rappalos Ivanowskis has a three point shot at the top of the key raises the front of the rim. Xavier goes down. Jason Carter knocks down to three on the other end. His third three of the season, I believe he's three for 14, maybe around that point. And that completely kind of just put things in, in that 
direction where Xavier can get back into this. Because if, if Rat knocks down that three or if someone's there for an offensive rebound and a stick back, anything of that sort, you're looking at a seven-point lead, a six-point lead. Instead, you're all the way back down to one. You've got a dogfight the rest of the way. And that's where the free throws really reared its ugly head. Kind of what were your thoughts from there on out? Because it seemed like knocked down a couple free throws, running into ones and ones. You got two missed free throws by Keith with a chance to bring it from four points to two points. Uh, just, just a lot of just head scratching things that might just be indicative of a team that has only played one game so far this season to a team that has played five like Xavier did. Well, if Keith is going to be the leader on this team, if he wants to be the guy at the end of the game with the ball in his hands, then you have to lead, which is going to mean spend an extra time in the gym shooting free throws. You cannot miss those free throws, period. End of statement as far as that goes. You cannot be a leader missing those free throws. Even LeBron James figured out early on in his career, I can't make free throws at a 65% clip, and he started making free throws later in the game. So I'm, I'm, I'm always curious when people say that, that, that uh, statements like that. Uh, how, how exactly do you know how much time he spends on free throws? Maybe he spends five hours a day on them. And he just and maybe he does. I, and I could be wrong. I don't know. I mean, I know that the university rules for practice versus what he's actually spending in the gym are probably very different. So, yeah, you know, I, well, all that goes without being said. But Keith, Keith is a player that I always felt pretty confident when he was heading to the line so far in his career. I agreed. And I don't know what happened at the end of that game, but it was. And it happened against Liscom too. Yeah. I mean, it might just be the early season. I, maybe. I don't know if it's right percent free throw shooter last year. Yeah. Him, him and, and Micah Adams Woods are the two players that I really felt confident heading to the free throw line down the stretch last year. Could just and, be yips or early season yips. I don't know. I mean, so what happened from that stretch after that six minute mark all the way through was just Xavier scoring at will or getting fouled and going to the free throw line, knocking down their free throws. No one on Cincinnati was able to get anything going. That The one play that really just bothers me the most is about there's 319. You're coming out of an, the under four media timeout, the final media timeout. And I, I, I know that John Brandon drew up some sort of a baseline out of bounds play or some sort of play and then a secondary option there. But re-watching that, you really have no clue what the play call was. It ended in a shot clock violation by Mike Adams-Woods trying to flip flip a shot up at the very end that gets blocked. That is a situation where you need to come away with points or at the very least get fouled and go to the free throw line. It just seemed like this was truly a team that has not been tested in the waters like Xavier has. And Xavier stepped up. Only David DeJulius really stepped up for Cincinnati. Agreed. And that's, I mean, kind of how I came out of this podcast swinging is – Julius is the guy who I, at this point in, in, of time, I want him with the ball in his hands as the game's winding down because he, yeah. he's the one that I, I've seen thus far this season that I trust, which is crazy because I wasn't afraid when Keith Williams had the ball in his hand last season. You know, right. you know, everything from last season has changed, and maybe that's mounted pressure on Keith Williams to be the guy, and maybe that's what's affecting his, his psyche as he's at the line, as, he, as it's, you know, crunch time in a game. Um, but I don't know, you know, you had opportunities, even like trying to get a foul um, or, or not get a foul. Cause I don't know. I, I'm not going to, I'm not, I've been telling myself all day. I'm not going to be blame the ref guy because I don't like blame the ref guy. <laughs> okay. But that, that call on rap towards the end there, that it was a phantom call. There was, he, he didn't even check it. 
he, there was no hand check. He was just simply standing up in defense. I don't even know if he touched anything. Yeah. I don't know. It looked bad. I, you know, we could, we could really wear down and, and break this down left and right. But I, I do want to talk about David DeJulius before it gets too, too far and before we start to move into some things that really need to be worked on. I mean, the, the thing that really sticks out to me the most is how hard he played the entire game, how, how strong he is going to the basket, how crafty he is once he gets near with his floaters, with his high off the glass shots. And then you see the emotion that he brought in the postgame press conference. He was in tears. I, you know, it's, it's not often you see a transfer player like that with his first taste of the crosstown shootout. He's not in tears because he personally lost to Xavier. He's in tears because his team lost to Xavier, because the players on the team lost to them. The community that he knows really wants to take down Xavier lost. He was in tears. I, it's, it's something I, I truly haven't seen. And it's amazing to see it out of a man like that. And he's, I, I'm extremely excited to see what he has for the rest of this year and next year, because I think that he's going to be a player that a lot of us look at and we just remember for a very long time. Cause you know, we kind of had that talk with Chris McNeil last year about how this is going to be a player that is going to steer the ship for the team. He's going to be watch him. He's going to be one of those great players that just breaks out strong defense, really sound offensive game. But David DeJulius looks like everything that Chris McNeil was supposed to be supposed to be and then some and I'm trying to remember the last time the Bearcats had a point guard quite like that a true point guard not not a, a ball handler or a primary ball handler which is a true point guard that can sit down and defend like he does and then has the offensive firepower and the athleticism I he is spectacular and I'm I'm extremely excited to have him on the team and like you mentioned when it comes down to it crunch time i you have Keith Williams on the team who knocked down a big shot against ECU, a couple of big shots against ECU last year on the road when Jaron Cumberland was fouled out, had that spectacular game against USF. But at this point, like you said, I'm thinking Dave DeJulius has to have the ball in his hands. Yeah, and you know, prior to the game, he was talking about how, already knowing how much this game means to Cincinnati, to its fans, all of that, knowing about the rivalry. Uh, one of the things I did read post-game is that uh, <clears throat> apparently Xavier had – uh, a bunch of past players, including David West, including Trayvon Blewett, um, talked to the team about how much this this game means. Uh, and I don't know if Cincinnati did anything like that with some of their grizzled old veterans, um, you know, like guys who have connection to uh, the program still. But uh, if, if not, I think that was a missed opportunity on uh, Coach Brandon's part. But uh, if, if so, I, I just didn't hear anything about it. But DeJulius did finish 16 points. He has 10 assists on the season, zero turnovers. I mean, you're talking about a, a play to really watch out for and see what he can do the rest of the way. But, Aaron, Coach John Brandon talked about it ad nauseum after in the postgame press conference, and it was defense, you know. Kind of sounded like what we've been familiar with for the past 13 years prior to John Brandon getting here, and it was – Defense, defense, defense. They did give up 77 points. They gave up absurd shooting percentages for a team in this conference. Pardon me, in this crosstown shootout game. I yes, defense is something that needs to be fixed. It is something that is a glaring weakness right now. And when you have a high ball screen and you have Chris Boat going all the way out to the perimeter to help hedge, to help ice, to help you know disrupt the screen. 
and you expect him to roll back down and be there at the rim, man, I I don't know. There is some things that need to be worked on, but if I got if I got 10 cents for the amount of times that Paul Scruggs turned the corner and saw an open lane, I'd I'd be able to buy myself a little Big Mac right now, probably. Well, it was there was there was definitely a lot of open looks by Xavier. And again, I think some of that can can just be put on the fact that this was only the second game that Cincinnati has played. I think you'll see some of that stuff cleaned up. Um, you know, again, you have seven new guys on this team coming together with the guys who were here prior to. Um, so I don't know. Some of that stuff I do expect to be ironed out. But again, to your point, yeah, you can't expect 7-1 already kind of clunky in his own skin, Chris vote as far as just getting back to the hoop coming from the top of the key. It's just not going to happen. Um, so he was getting beat quite a bit, but you know, Xavier is just getting a lot of open looks, whether it be down low or outside the, uh, the three point line there. So, you know, when they were open outside the three point line, those were going in more often than not. And then the stat that uh, I saw Chad tweeting out 13 of 13 down low, yep. that's, that's just, that's automatic. And you can't have that. You know, and and the thing is, last year we kind of saw as the season wore on that Chris Boat was struggling with those high ball screens. You know, we saw it in, in the Central Florida game at the third arena. We saw it again a couple of other times, especially at Houston, but that was an extremely difficult game with all the things going on there. But, you know, we, that's when you saw the rise of Mamadou Diara. That's when you saw the the ball screen defense of a confident Mamadou. And right now – Mamadou doesn't have the confidence to do that. Right now, Vote still doesn't doesn't really have the foot speed to do that. Ivanaskis, Ivan part of me, doesn't really seem to be the defender that he is on everything he gives you on offense, he's not gonna bring that same thing defensively. He's a great defensive rebounder, but still, you need a shot blocking presence. And Chris Vote's one of the best on-ball shot blocking defenders. You saw that against Lipscomb, where he denied a shorter Lipscomb center. I, I wanted to do Haka, Haka Asalada, whatever his name was. He was struggling <laughs> at the free throw line in that Lipscomb game. But still, when you have him rolling and having to defend the rim on a, on a straight line drive, you're, he's either going to foul or he's not going to be able to go up and contest, in which that shows you that 13 and 13, and that shows you him also fouling, Chris Bo also fouling out. As, as the game wore on towards there at the end. Yeah, and, you know, I almost would have been curious to see what a rotation playing smaller and kind of running a little bit faster with uh, Rapp and Easton would have looked like yep. at your four and five. Uh, just to right. inject something, it certainly would be a better rotation than Mamadou and Chris Vote out there together because that was, yeah. again, I'm not going to beat a dead horse, but, I mean, oof. Right. So I don't know. I, I just would have been curious to see running, running smaller and getting up and down the court faster. Um, Cause Eason, I feel like any rebound that was in his vicinity, he was all over. And if you're having issues rebounding the ball or pushing the ball, go with your young kid. Who's trying to make a name for himself. Eight rebounds in 15 minutes. I mean, that, that seems pretty efficient to me, right? Yeah. And you're looking for a shot blocker. We've already seen some some hints at that already. Right. So I, I don't know. I mean, again, I would have just been curious to see what that was. 15 minutes seems like I don't I don't honestly feel like I even saw him out there for 15 minutes. It felt more like 10, but 
you know, and and that also feeds back into the whole lack of an MTE, lack of those kind of cupcake games, if you will, where you can't really just get your freshmen extra time and, and let them get their college speed underneath them and things of that sort. Because, yes, you know, for as great as Easton is, he did a great job rebounding. He missed one bunny, but he was there a lot. He had that great offensive rebound and then kick out to heart to uh, Davenport for that three ball. You know, he did a lot of good things, but he is out of place at times defensively, which is something that just takes time to really, you know, learn and, and, and kind of feel how it is going up against a different team. But when you're playing against a Xavier or you're in a dogfight against Lipscomb, you need to have the veterans out there. You need to have the players that know where they need to be and kind of have that instinctual awareness about them. And I think that's the reason why you aren't seeing Eason as much, you know, and, and you really hope that there's somehow some way that you can get them out there more because there was one drive where the, the ball hitter got past his defender, not sure who it was, but went to a body of someone in the paint and drew a foul. But Eason, they didn't need a foul because Eason was right there on the backside and completely rejected the ball. He's highly athletic. Him and, as you mentioned already, Mikey Saunders were spectacular. They The upside is so evident, yeah. but you're in these tough games. You're in these must-win situations where every single game means everything, especially just two games in, and you're playing Xavier in the second game. You know, yeah, They have to know, as freshmen, they have to know that's a huge moment. And again, right. I think some of I think some of that that loss can be just attributed to just big pressure in a big moment. And so, unfortunately, you know, we saw some people who just weren't quite ready for that moment yet. So, defense obviously something that needs a little bit of help. How about help with Keith Williams? Keith was spectacular in the first four minutes of the game. Seven points, extremely aggressive driving to the rim. Knocked down an open in rhythm three pointer. And then the rest of the way, he kind of pick and chose his times. His three pointers were more of like a daring me to shoot three pointer instead of an in rhythm variety. He kind of looked like to be a little out of sorts at times. The free throws were kind of, you know, tough to really handle there towards down the stretch. But we've seen him be able to do what he needs to do to get the job done. But what are your thoughts just through two games so early in the season? It's crazy to be talking like this, but it seems like Keith is wanting to be that leader on the team, and he is the leader of the team. But just through two games, kind of how are you breaking that down? As you talk, it reminds me very much of what we were saying just a few years ago about Jacob Evans. And what I mean by that is Jacob wasn't one to be like a Jaron where he's begging for the ball every possession going down the court i'm going to be the iso guy sometimes i'm not going to pass it but the ball will always go through me keith isn't that guy he's not one to be like i have to be the spotlight guy and highlight guy for for every possession he's working the ball around they're passing it much more i feel like already than we saw last year this early on in the season because everything ran through jaron again not necessarily knock on Jaron. It's just a different style of play. So as this team, even the guys that were here last year, kind of grow accustomed to passing the ball more, running plays more instead of doing this ISO ball stuff. It's right. a different style of play. So you're kind of going back to where Jacob Evans was always the best shooter on the court at any given moment, but he wasn't the one screaming for the ball all the time. So Keith is still trying to, in my eyes anyway, still trying to figure out what him being a leader looks like. 
And I think, again, if you're trying to draw a comparison, I think you can go back just a couple of years to Jacob Evans and him trying to find his role in that, that same style. Yeah, and, and you know, I think you also look at it because that was also a, a team where you didn't tell Jake. Jake did bring the ball up quite a lot in that in that season. He, he was a primary ball handler at times. But when it comes to Keith, I think Keith is just so great off ball. I think – I think if you, ha- you get him on a backdoor cut, get him slashing, get him, get him, you know, in transition. Uh, th- there are certain things with Keith Williams, and I think one of them is not give him the ball with a defender in a set position and tell him to break him down one on one. I think you can do that with David DeJulius and then have yeah, Keith play off it. And so I think obviously that plays into the entire thing that John Brandon was saying, how he's just still learning his team still learning rotations, still learning where players are going to be. I mean, remember last year he was saying he normally doesn't figure out who his true point guard is, who his true primary ball handler is until about midway through the season at times. Well, and oddly, that was when we saw Chris McNeil get significantly right. less minutes. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's when Jared Coverland took over. I, you know, I, I think right now he's he's maybe seeing after two games, he's saying, okay, David DeJulius is our primary ball handler. Sure. Now we need to figure out what we can do with Keith as in a kind of a more of a reactionary role, because I think DeJulius can break down defenses, kick out. Keith can either find an open shot or go with his pump fake and hard drive. I mean, I, I think you saw a lot of good things and in, in the potential of what this team has. But then when adversity really struck, I think that's kind of when they when they went to the wayside in those final six minutes. Well, and it was odd, too, to see, you know, Micah Adams-Woods have as good a game as he had in, yeah. against Lipscomb, and right. he just wasn't really there against Xavier. So, and right. I know some of that's going to come when, you know, you see a guy like DeJulius start getting those points. You know, points are going to come, you know, when one person has more points, somebody's going to not have as many points. It's just math. I mean, one thing that, I... That's pretty good, Aaron. That's pretty good for me. That's well, excellent. I'm, I'm, here, I'm here for the obvious, really. I was waiting for a chime in there. Um, what I will say about Micah, he took eight shots. Now, yeah. shot, he wasn't, he wasn't hitting. Uh, yeah. The only thing I really the, – the only complaint I had from Micah was the drive at Fremantle at the rim. Yeah. He kind of tried to fin- – he, he yeah. tried to finesse it at the end when I thought yeah. he should have continued going at him strong. Right. Uh, but, you know, last year when we talked about Micah, you'd look – and he'd have four shots, three shots. And they're all and standing like, in the corner threes. Yeah. It'd be like, you know, I want to see him get a little bit more assertive and looking for a shot. Um, I think he did that to at an acceptable level yesterday. He just didn't connect, you know, two of eight. You're going to have that at times. Now, you know, you know what I want to see more of? I want to see more of him as a shooter. He is, of the, yeah. of the regular rotation guys, he is the best three-point shooter. So if you're going to play him consistently off the ball, get him driving dish looks, get him looks in the offense that allow him to, to get rhythm threes, because I think he's your best three point option of the guys that are, are playing the most minutes right now. Do you recall yeah. what rotation he was running with against Xavier? It was, I mean, he, he the was main, the main five. Yeah, he was the main five predominantly. He, and then he when they subbed, took out to Julius, Sometimes he played a little point guard. Yeah. I but mean, for the most part, he was at the two. My thing about Micah, 
my thing about Micah is that was a fantastic play on the baseline, but he doesn't have the athleticism to go up and try and, you know, meet, meet, meet me at the rim, draw a foul type thing. That's why I yes, think he, he tried to go with the finesse, you know? He has, he has the wherewithal and the, the, the arm length to go right. up there and put the pressure on Fremantle. Right. Uh, instead, he allowed Fremantle to be the aggressor. I think you would agree with that if he watches when he watches the tape. Is right. Freeman is Freeman on the player that everybody hates this year though, or is it just me? I think he's it's gonna guy. be Conkle. Is it yeah, over yeah. Fremantle? Well, I think Fremantle It's both. It's both. Fremantle was getting getting wrapped a little fired up, vice versa. Well, that was um, a garbage technical. I ugh. What he was they saying on, on TV? Oh, Doc hated it. <laughs> he went to guard him. Doc did he say something? Yeah. Or or was it just the chest bump? No, I mean, I'm sure he said something. Right. But who freaking cares? Doc well, said no, you, I, can't, you can't give a player a technical on that because it's just two guys. They're gonna, they've been going at each other all night already, and they're going to yeah. keep going at each other. And you don't give somebody a technical on what – unless something wildly inappropriate that was, was said. Weak. Give, well, that's, give, give Freeman to one two then. Give Freeman yeah. to one two. Or then. just warn both players and both sidelines, like – we're not letting but this get out of hand. That that was Doug Shows being Doug Shows. He loves technicals, loves them. And the worst thing about that too is that that rap after that kind of took him out of his flow. Yeah, he was I softening mean, up a little bit. That was after he made those threes. That was after he was really feeling himself. Well, he came, no, he came back. No, and he came down and made it. He yeah. made one after it. Right after. Okay, was was it the swish? I was thinking that might have been after the swish. No, that was the one he made. Was that that grazer? <laughs> That was the one he made super deep. He was like, yeah. I don't know, five or six feet behind the arc when he hit that. And that's the thing about Rap. So he he is a great defensive rebounder, is what we have been able to surmise through two games and through his career at Colgate as well. And that just lets you know that also in this in this situation with the, with this scheme that the way that they really defend ball screens and the way that people are seemingly going after Chris Vogt. You need to have Rat B there on the boards constantly. But is there some part of Ivanowskis' game that you see, Aaron, that you kind of think he might need to improve on just after two? I mean, I'm, if you're trying to just bait me into saying he's not a great three-point shooter, I'll say it. He's not a great three-point shooter. He's not afraid to shoot the ball. And honestly, right. neither is Cumberland. And Cumberland is also not a great three-point shooter. But he, he both of them have knocked some down. So – uh, one of the things that Dockage said, and I, I don't, I, I don't love Dan Dockage. I'll go on the record to say I, I don't really like Dan Dockage at all. But he did say, uh, especially I, I, it was either Davenport or Rap, one or the other, who did make a three during the game. He said, uh, "Don't fall in love with the three. You hit one. Don't get cocky. Don't get overly confident in it." And I think that at times Cincinnati did fall in love with the three when they would hit one in a big moment. They're like, "Oh, we're going to keep doing this," and that just wasn't the case. Overall. I think that you can see glimmers of, of what this team can be, potentially. I think that you need some alpha dogs to truly step up. It, you know, you, you rewatched the, the highlights of the game, and Chris Vogt was aggressive in the first half. Every time he caught the ball in the, in the post, he went quick, and, and he caught it with authority, and he was straight to the rim. He dunked two of them, one through traffic and one over Fremantle. I – in the second half, you didn't see it. You did not see him being available for the ball. You did not see him. Really, you know, I think mainly what 
John Brandon was talking about when it came to rebounding a seven foot one, 260 pound starting center, you expect more than one rebound. Absolutely. Xavier was plays five out on, on offense. And so when you're using the high ball screen, you expecting him to get back quickly to get some rebounds. Sure. But on the other side, you need him crashing that offensive glass. You need him to get some offensive rebounds because you're the biggest man on the court by far. And you, and <laughs> only, only three points on second chance points on eight offensive rebounds. That might be, you know, you talk about the 13 of 13 for Xavier. You talk about the struggling on from the stripe down the stretch, but only three points on, on eight offensive rebounds. That's so, that, yeah, is, got, that is very bad. You got to capitalize on second opportunities. They don't come very often. Uh, Tari Eason loves being down there. Rap loves being down there, getting those offensive boards. And if you're going to have guys that can do that, you have to capitalize, period. And, you know, the worst thing is it doesn't slow down for Cincinnati after this. Furman, <laughs> sure, they played, they played Tusculum, USC Upstate, Southern Wesleyan, and Charleston. I want you to do a, a nice little research project on those four schools, Aaron, because I've only heard of one of them. I, I mean, that's that's how random these schools are. But still, their offense is clicking. They they are a very veteran team. You've got five of the top six players from last year returning. Furman beat Villanova two years ago. I, this is if a you look very at the Ken Palm, though. If you look at the Ken Palm on Furman, I think that there's only just maybe two or three points between us and Furman. That right now they have it. Right now Ken Palm has Cincinnati winning 72-69. And That's a close game. <laughs> That's a nice. very good. Cincinnati nice. <laughs> is is number 63 on Ken Palm. Furman is number 64. There you go. And yeah, yes, yet again they played no one. I mean their closest game was to Charleston where they won 81 to 57. So they, they haven't played anybody, but they have played four games. It's a very veteran team, and it's going to be a, it's going to be a, another test. I, I, I mean, you look at Cincinnati's schedule. When does it slow down for them? I mean, you got to look all the way to maybe what Tulsa at home, and even Tulsa's solid. I mean, it's it does not slow down anytime soon. Maybe South Florida at home. Is I mean, Johnny Dawkins still at UCF? Yes, but it's on the road. Okay. okay well, just as long as he's still there, then yeah, that one. <laughs> on the road, I, you know, it it just this is where it kills Cincinnati to not have. They, they tried so hard. That don't get me wrong. They tried three different times that failed, but but that is what 2020 is, and that's that's the the dish that they've been served. And you know what? They've got to adjust. They've got to figure it out, and they got to go from there. Right now, things are. You see small things, but this is like John Brandon says, his teams always get better as the season wears on right now, the season it's, it's wearing on pretty quickly. Yeah. You know, you talk about the schedule and you have an opportunity against the 12th best team in America, Tennessee, you know, that's a big, you have an opportunity that Cincinnati basically just walked into themselves yeah, where exactly. they were, they had not played, but one game at that point. And I think Tennessee is going to be almost an identical situation if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they'll have one game against Colorado tomorrow night. So, yeah, I mean, that's an opportunity to capitalize, you know. Between now and then, you got to make sure that you're having these types of conversations. You're figuring out your rotation. You're breaking down the film. John Brandon already knows all these things. I'm just kind of 
you know, talking about things that are probably already in place. But, you know, for those who are looking for hope, uh, you got an opportunity there to go out there and just beat a team that is highly ranked. Big time opportunity at Tennessee on SEC Network alternate, Aaron. How about that? Ah, I was really hoping we weren't going to talk about that. It's, uh, I don't know. I guess apparently if you have YouTube TV, if you <laughs> if you log into the ESPN app with your YouTube TV information, you get the SEC Network, but you're not going to get it on the YouTube TV app. You have to go into the ESPN app, and then you can get it there. Is this one of those things where I need to, like, download that VPN thing where, like, it shows I'm in, like, Florida or something to get the alternate? I, I mean, I'm a little concerned, to be honest. I Maybe I drive down to Knoxville. Chad, you want to join me? Maybe. We'll see what can happen. But, you know – this, this is just interesting, but it, it's 2020 to a T. This is what the, – these these are the cards that everyone has dealt. I've got a football game to cover. <laughs> oh, yeah. How are we going to split that up? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But, but, hey, that's a great segue because, obviously, I'm sure that you guys will be talking on the BCJ podcast all about football – and of yeah, course, we're probably, Dave, Dave will we're probably going to wait until Thursday. Yeah. Probably going to wait until Thursday just to make sure uh, everything's on track <laughs> and headed in the right direction. Are you still at 55 45, uh, Chad? No, I upgraded uh, to 70 30. I think 70% okay. likely that they play the game. And then what is your percentage on the Furman game on Wednesday? Are you at 55 45? Where are you at on that? On if it it happens or if if I'm there on a uh, on one of these, are you uh, are you going to eat a W? No, I'm not eating. Look, I don't eat W's. That's not that's not sanitary. It's, it's, it's a not, global. It's, it's a global pandemic. It's a global pandemic. I'm not eating any W's. I don't know where that W's been. <laughs> it's been been all over the place. Let's put it that way. Um. I mean, I, I think they win, but I, I don't think it's going to be – I don't think it's going to be easy Pretty. by any stretch of the imagination. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of the Vermont game last year. It reminds me of a a team that will probably win. They play Alabama after this, Furman does. And then after that, they could very much win every single game the rest of the season. I mean, if you're looking at this game – and, you know, I haven't really done a deep dive in it, but uh, – Furman is a team that scores a lot of points. Yep. And and through 80 minutes, you see as a team that has not played much defense. So uh, I'm a little concerned. Uh, hey, you want a nightmare, line. guys? Do you guys want a nightmare real quick? Furman knocked down 16 threes in their last game. It's not great. No. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, right? Merry I mean, the Christmas. thing that the thing that that you always worry about with a veteran team is their ability to handle pressure because they're, they've got guys that have, have been around for a long time. Yeah. You know, what, what turned that Lipscomb game around is UC was able to speed them up. While it didn't necessarily result in a lot of, like, live ball turnovers, it resulted in them getting out of their comfort, getting out of their, their rhythm. Uh, usually pretty difficult to do when you play one of those mid-major squads that basically has their entire team back from last year. They do. They do. They do. Like I, I said, they lose one player that was of any anything. <laughs> so, I mean, it'll be tough. Aaron, 
Aaron, you're dying at my my dry sense of humor tonight, it's, aren't you? It's good tonight. It's it's in full force, and it's the only thing keeping me from crying post game. So, it's... see, there's usually two. Like, I've got two settings. The one setting is really amped up when it's like I'm, you know, constantly full go. But when I dial back a little bit, like I am today. Uh, then the sarcasm really, really lays on thick. <laughs> Fantastic. And it hasn't been aimed uh, at me, so that's also good. Oh, we're we're not done yet. I know. So, <laughs> so the BBP was going to happen. If, if there was a victory, it was going to happen right afterwards. It was going to be Aaron after dark. That would have been nice. But I can uh, only imagine Aaron after a, a Bengals game like that and a crosstown oof, shootout. Oof. Could you, could you, would you have been able to speak by the time Brent got back to Indy? Well, and bear in mind, I'm, I'm also still in Florida where it was like 80 degrees yesterday. So <laughs> <laughs> you're number one. That's fine. Roll it on in, baby. Roll it on in. Okay. How about this? So, so that was sad. That was a difficult thing. We have something really exciting going on in Cincinnati as well. There's only one thing exciting going on in any of the teams. That is a football team. They're spectacular. Three players named for the finalists in their selected positions. You're talking about Desmond Ritter. You're talking about my Jay Sanders. And you're talking about Mr. Wiggins. So when you have all this going on with basketball, trying to figure out what's going on, and, and you have really had two to three months of just pure bliss with this football team, that will come back on Saturday. And um, and the way that these teams kind of lined up the, the basketball game first against Tennessee and then the football game, you know what? I kind of like it. I kind of like it. And did you think there were any snubs in any of those uh, awards finalists? You know, yes and no. Yes and no. Just curious. I, I don't think quite Keith Williams last year in the uh, conference all team selections, but uh, I think you could go a lot of different players on a lot of different things. I think this year in college football is the most bizarre year. And absolutely. You're absolutely correct there. All of the stretches that everyone is making. I think it's more of like a, here you go, buddy, more than you deserve this. We broke this down from the very first snap you played to the very last snap you played. I think it's more just, Hey, we kind of just looked at it in a broad spectrum <laughs> and we're going to give us a tip of the cap to as many people as we can. I was just more surprised out of anybody to not see James Smith in on the, uh, on the finalists. Okay. Oh, it was, it was the one touchback. That's what it was. Man. That's a kept him out. Screwed, screwed himself big time. Really hurt him. And, and yeah, the, uh, yeah. So, but hey, you saw Mason Fletcher will be coming to Cincinnati, I believe, on Wednesday. So how about that? The uh, the first the first arrival of the class of 2021, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit later after we touch on college football a little bit here. But Aaron, we have a situation like we had last year: a Memphis back-to-back meetings against Cincinnati. Now it is a Tulsa back-to-back meetings, more than likely a 70-30% chance, I would say. That's what my forecaster told me. 
What are your thoughts on Tulsa, man? I, I a a weird game against Navy again. They just yeah, seem seem like they've got one LeBron James and then a bunch of you know, you know Danielle <laughs> Marshalls and Zilvilda Selkowskis and Eric Snow surrounding him. And that LeBron James plays on defense, mind you. He's not even right. on offense. So, right. although he might score more than most of the <laughs> offensive players, oddly enough. Um, of course, I play his ass a tight end. <laughs> of course, we're talking about Jason Collins, but um, I, 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 I would too. Against against Navy, they were terrible. They were yeah. terrible. There was no, nothing to hang your hat on if you're if you're Tulsa, and in no way, shape, or form do you feel good going into a game against Cincinnati. Uh, Navy, I believe, has only beat this year Tulane before Michael Pratt, Temple, and ECU when ECU was playing without Holton Aylers. And you just eked one by against Navy. Yeah. And that's just if again, if I'm Tulsa, I'm not feeling good with Cincinnati coming to your house this week after you just almost shit the bed. Sorry, Dan. Um, against Navy, and then you have to play them <laughs> for the conference championship back in Cincinnati's house. Here's the only silver lining that I see in this. They're right. There's still a number. Yeah. There's yeah, still a number absolutely. in front of their name. Yeah. They're, and, they're, and they're oh. over 500. And uh, I think Cincinnati's the only team that's beat at this point five over 500 teams, which would make this six and seven. 56 and six, them on the road for one last little chance, one last push before that final CFP reveal. I, I mean, you've, you've seen everything that needed to happen for the Bearcats has not happened. It has been the absolute worst case scenario since the first reveal of the college football playoffs. It was oh, even man. worse than that because you, you would not, at least in these, those scenarios, there were games played. Yes. And instead we've just thrown out some of those games that would have <laughs> gone one way or the other. So it's, it's been the worst of worst case scenarios. And here's the thing for the first time ever since the college football playoff poll has been revealed, Number seven through one, no one has dropped out of, of the, the rankings as they are. Or moved at all. I, I mean, it's just, you see Texas A&M squeaking wins where they are, are pretty much gifting their opposition victories. You see just countless different things. I, it, it just, you know, Ohio State, the, the Big Ten passes an, passes an ordinance to say, hey, we're gonna we're gonna allow a, a five win team to play in the Big Ten championship, and then before which, you know it, Michigan is miraculously cured. Which why do you even have rules if you're just gonna change the rules? Like, uh, yeah, I I mean, the a, the ACC is, you know, they pretty much just granted, uh, told, hey, Clemson and Notre Dame, you guys are gonna be playing in the ACC championship game. I mean, I don't know. The uh, the whole thing is really playing out the way that uh, they are who we thought they were when it comes to the college football playoff committee. Well, and everybody wants to talk about Cincinnati's strength of schedule versus, you know, any of the power fives. If you look at the um, other teams and the amount of top 25 teams that they've played, it's not – I think Clemson's only played one ranked team all season. Notre Dame. That, that was it. And they lost. You know, here's, here's my question. If, if the regular season went as it was supposed to before all of this, Cincinnati beats Nebraska by three touchdowns, let's say. 
what's the perception at this point? Depends on how Nebraska fares against the rest of the teams that they play. Doesn't change. Yeah, I, I don't think, think it does. I think it's the exact same, which is just sad. I mean, it's I mean, what you, we knew. It is what we knew, but, you know, you said, so when that first reveal happened, everyone says, oh, Cincinnati at number seven. That means the committee is saying they have a chance. Everything happened. But they obviously. need chaos. Yeah, they didn't get chaos. So, in essence, they really didn't have a chance. I mean, Notre Dame, I watched that Notre Dame-Syracuse game, and I hate to say it, Syracuse was in complete control of the game. <laughs> and then they let up three touchdowns in, the, like, the final four minutes of the first half after a face mask penalty. I, it, just, it just seems like everything is going against what is needed, and it, it, it's sad to say, but – you know what, this is a, a team that is still going to go out and, and show everyone how good they are, unlike what a fellow media darling, non in the Power Five, was able to do this past weekend. And, I mean, it just kind of plays into the whole BYU-Cincinnati game thing, the whole and Cincinnati yeah, but, had one extra game against CC. I mean, I don't know. The, those two the teams hurt thing. themselves playing that game. They did. They did. And they literally I mean, fought on the field, which is not a good look for anybody. <laughs> but that ending was so fitting for, for that game. It was that was fun. That was a fun game. But they actually had they were almost about to move the second half of that game to uh, Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, about halfway between the two. Nice neutral site game after a fight. That's that's what that's what had this supposed to happen. When no way. fight. You you move. <laughs> Sarcasm. Sarcasm. <sighs> Break it down. Break it down, Daddy. Uh, Never mind. Carry I love on. tonight. I love tonight. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Aaron. Aaron. Aaron's let's cheeks hurt. Let's, let's, let's bring this in a little bit. Because obviously it's looking like the situation is you would need – I still think think that there's a chance for a Clemson victory – no, pardon me, a Notre Dame victory over Clemson. Texas A&M loses to Ole Miss after they rescheduled due to COVID. You think A&M – they're going to re- – you lost your damn mind. You think they're going to reschedule that game and hey, risk man. the loss? They've got Optimism. to be scheduled for next week. No. Optimism. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's not. You know, great. You, you want you want to know what should happen? Let's hear it. Ohio State A and M Saturday. Wow. Don't sing it. Just bring it. Boom. I like that. And any what was it? Any team, anywhere, anytime. Ohio bring State A and M Kyle Field Saturday. I don't like that. Or ooh, what about a neutral site? Let's go neutral. What about Doc- carried away? What about Dockage railing on Indiana needs to be in the college football playoff during the Cincinnati game? What did did he have a diatribe about it? It was quick. Thank God it was quick. Yeah, he tweeted saying he was going to go off the rails with it. Saw that. Luckily, he didn't. It it wasn't quite like uh, what, Actually, what you listen to him. You listen to him every day, don't you, Brent? Sadly, uh, if I do take lunch, it is what is playing in the car. Yes. 
straighten my eardrums out with a grapefruit spoon. You know what? He has good guests. That's about where I'll give it to him. He was nice to me one time. We had lunch together. I don't know. I don't did he get you a peanut butter fluff? Or not? He did not. Only legends do that. Thanks, Chad. Yeah, yeah. And some dirt <laughs> and some dirty chips. That'll be a nice story to tell to the grandchildren. <laughs> but hey, Aaron, you know what? I'm going to bring it all back. Let's let's do Bearcats best bets. We need to. It's got to happen. All right. Always does. First off, I'm going to do a special one. The Cincinnati Bearcats versus Furman this Wednesday. Whew. What do you need the line to be at to feel confident betting on the Bearcats? One. <laughs> One. <laughs> okay. I have a feeling it'll be four and a half. Yeah. Is that what did it open already? I had it did not. It did no? not. I'm not going to four and a half in, in Furman or Cincinnati's favor. Well, Cincinnati <laughs> minus four and a half. <sighs> with 16 threes. The, I, there's no coming back from that with this team. Not in my eyes. Cincinnati versus Tulsa this Saturday, 12 and a half point favorites. That's down a point from this afternoon, I believe. Yeah. What you got? 13 and a half. Yeah. When I looked earlier, bring that hammer out. I don't know. I, I wrote about this in my rewind. Um, I think I feel two different ways about this. My, my heart says that uh, we, we kill 13 and a half. So 12 and a half is, is even, even better than that 13 and a half. My head says that we, we win this game by seven to 10. Wow. Okay. Interesting. I just want to know who Tulsa is going to even have on the field. I mean, just, just give me a little bit of a precursor. I it's, Things are so interesting and, and kind of – I want to know the status of the cast as well. So, I still want to hammer it, though. Uh, that Texas A&M game's gone. Florida, 24-point favors versus LSU. Does, does Coach O have any sort of magic left in that juju down there? LSU, the, it might have the biggest story swept under the rug that no one's talking about with the whole sexual assault and at Orgeron and things being covered up. I'm shocked and borderline appalled that no one in the national media is even talking about this story that went away as quickly as it came out. Uh, I don't really feel that Ed Orgeron did enough to really apologize. He just went along with everybody else kind of kicking that story under the rug. So LSU in my eyes is a dumpster fire and I don't think they're going to do anything against Florida. 24. I, I think, yeah, that's a fair spread. And I think Florida hammer Florida. And then tell me the last time you saw Ohio State as a 29-point favorite against Michigan. Tell me the last time you saw Michigan beat Ohio State. Man, that game has just gone terrible. But, hey, you know, that's where we are in 2020 college football. Not much, uh, not much love, not much grace, not much uh, passion coming out of that. But either way, hopefully you see a big Bearcat victory this weekend. Hopefully we are back talking on the BVP about a spectacular win against Tennessee for the basketball team and, and, and a 2-0 sweep of the week and then a domination of Tulsa, getting ready to welcome them back to Nippert Stadium the following weekend. But there is one other thing that's kind of exciting around the uh, 
beautiful acre land of of Cincinnati in the greater area, the the state of Cincinnati, if you will. And that's that's football recruiting is at a nonstop. It is continuing to be fantastic. And it, it just seems like every time you look on Twitter, another 2021 commit has been named to the first team all state, first team all city, first team all district. And Aaron, there just is a continuous cloud of smoke around the entire recruiting scene. Excitement is brewing, and it is just a never-ending. It seems like something new happens almost every week. Well, we are nine days away from people starting to sign, and uh, that's exciting, right? Yeah, I mean, I think sixteenth. And I know that there's been plenty of mentions both on Twitter and on the boards from uh, everyone's favorite cookie monster. So I expect there to be uh, quite a bit of excitement between now and Christmas from what one of Santa's little elves has been whispering on the boards. So if you are listening to this and have not yet subscribed to bearcatjournal.com, feel free to hop in there and get on the boards for everyone's favorite spot for all your recruitment news. Shameless plug, you're welcome. Yeah, Dad's got a big smile on over there. Golly, golly. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's a a time where obviously you see decisions are made soon. There's there's no doubt about that. Um, If you can kind of read through the leaves on Twitter, it's not too hard to pick out kind of what, where it's looking like things are trending towards, whether it be positive or whether it be not much going on here, not much going on there, but things are constantly trending in the right direction. And I, I expect, you know, presence and uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of gifts, you know, did, did you ever growing up do that thing where uh, St. Nick comes and he puts things in your shoes when you put them outside? No, we were poor. It's, it's kind of like Christmas before Christmas. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, no Aaron's, okay. family only, Aaron's family can only afford one Christmas present. <laughs> oh, easy. Hey, I, th- I thought it was a thing that everyone did. No, man. Say, Nick, you put your shoes out. Oh. I think it's only like December 11th or December something like that, you know? I don't yeah, I know. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, we only got candy. Sometimes we got like a video game and maybe a bicycle or something. But I mean, it was it was nothing crazy. Just a just a bike for your pre-Christmas <laughs> gift. Did you get a Ferrari for Christmas? Something that went vroom vroom, you know. <laughs> While we're talking about look, recruiting, though, before you look, get into it, look, look, honey, Brent got a Lexus for Christmas. <laughs> that was his Saint Nick shoe gift. They put the keys in his shoes. Oh, for man. Christmas, for Christmas, he gets a vacation home in Palm Springs. <laughs> that was Thanksgiving, but <laughs> oh, wait a second. You get gifts for Thanksgiving? I couldn't even get it out. <laughs> True or false? The young family opened presents at Thanksgiving. If, if the presents are a nice, tasty mimosa, then true. Other than that, a lot of, uh, a lot of falsivity in that one. Uh, well, you said it. I know. Just we play just it along. To, we just had to, to, to verify the validity of, I'd hate to see what you got for, like, Easter. <laughs> Easter was a, the, 
The bunny did a good job. I tell you what. Oh, Christ. Going back this, to the recruiting, though, for This real. has gone off the rails today. Um, I, I would if, like I to hope see... everybody needed a laugh, because that, that has been the underlying tone of this Absolutely. Is laughing. Um, I, I would like to see uh, anybody who, who is out there listening, though, uh, just make sure that you do keep in mind that these are kids. They do waffle. Some, some maybe most of you have kids. I don't know. But these guys are out here, and they're just uh, – with their commitments and what have you just be respectful to them on twitter it's a bad bad look talking shit to a kid because they change your mind sorry dan i mean yeah or didn't change their mind just they were a kid on twitter well and (laughs) and also so schools schools put time in and you know effort into making these graphics and whatnot and if they send it to someone, it does not mean that they're posting it as a way of just saying, hey, look at this. You know, like, I'm thinking about considering this team or that team. It's That's not necessarily what it is. It's the it's same as if Chad were to uh, post an article of mine. I'm not going to say, hey, look, I wrote about the ECU Pirates. ECU, coming your way. No, that's that's not how it works. It, it's – you you roll with the success. You roll with with what's going on with the process, and I mean it's it's entirely. It it would be different if all of a sudden you saw other okay. things. I was, I was going to say it like this: You want to recruit like a big boy? You got to deal with recruiting like the big boys deal with recruiting. Like that's yeah. that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. It's just I just thought it was a bad look seeing some of the stuff that was out there this this past. Well, weekend. that's the stuff that happens at, at you know that's the, the the big time schools in recruiting that, that that happens in those fan bases because those people are nuts, and uh, you would like to think that that it would be different at UC, but it's probably unrealistic expectation. Were you on the message board last night? I steered clear. <laughs> no, I, I steered. I veered far left on that. Speaking of irrational, were you on the message board last night? On the drunker court board? The drunker court board? Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> That's what it was last night. It was the drunker court board. It's it's one of those situations where I I refuse to watch anything sports. Nothing. I will turn on a movie, awful. a movie or a television show. That is it. And have myself a night, a couple of wines, and act like everything's good. Huh. Yeah, you're a wine guy, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I got a glass right here. What, what are you drinking? Uh, was that your was that your Fourth of July present? Parents got you a bottle of 1876. Hey, hey, it was no, Cabernet. it was the subscription to the wine club. <laughs> <laughs> You know, a, a, a good, tasty book comes with it, too. So I, I do not hate. Don't but, eat the book. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Depends but, on but how no, much of the wine you got me. Quarantine <laughs> got me on to wine, man. Wine and scotch. And uh, I tell you what, it's uh, it's interesting. Single malt, double malt. What, what's your go-to scotch? I had a scotch um, kick when I was around your age. Oh, yeah? Now I, now I just do what normal men do and drink bourbon. So my brother's a heavy bourbon guy. He he's one of those collectors. We had to wake up the day after Thanksgiving last year, drive to Richmond. He lives in Columbus, Ohio. Drive to Richmond, Indiana, 
go to some podunk liquor store and they had some special bottles for him. So believe me, he's he's all about the bourbon, but I like a little little scotch. That was their Black Friday gift. Yes. I got a nice double double barrel Woodford Reserve that I'm okay. testing out tonight a little bit. Okay. A little, little, little sip, a little sippage. Yeah. I'm just in Florida. It's... You're drinking Florida down there. That's all it is. <laughs> you don't even need it. You don't even need alcohol when you're in Florida. No, you just feel good. Drinking the weather. Have, have you have you wrestled any alligators or done any Florida man stuff yet? I had to kill a palmetto bug yesterday. Well, Florida man kills palmetto bug. Doesn't doesn't quite have the ring to it as the other Florida man I mean, story. December fifth. A cockroach well, the size of my pinky. He he didn't mention that he was. He was not. He was. He was wasn't wearing clothes during it, and it was. It, and and it was putting the moves on his mom. Yes. Oh. <laughs> wow. I don't like the way any of that was worded. Oh gosh. Whew. Zero two hundred. I. But but on on a real note. <laughs> on a real note, I am. I, I'm hoping to be drinking, hopefully, some milk here soon. If uh. End of the end of the week. End of yeah. Week. If you catch my drift, um, milk always tastes better when it when it comes with you know a nice side. If you give a give a mouse a cookie type book thing, but um, you know I, that was the book that came with his wine. Follow along. Yes, if you give a moose a muffin, give a mouse a cookie. Come on, culture, culture yourself. But so you get Dr. Seuss books with your wine? <laughs> yes, obviously. What do, you, what do you expect us to try and read after nice vino? Come on now. <sighs> what, what are you having? Are you, are, is, are you a Cabernet guy? That looks like a nice red. I believe this one would be a cap. Give it the sniff, the twirl. Yep, cab. <sighs> yes. Uh, I have no words. <laughs> you know, uh, you know this. This was flowing. You should start all, doing. You should start doing this show from your wine cellar. <laughs> I, it's it's a little dehydrated in there. I think my my skin would kind of affect the air quality too much. That was an Arbor Day present. Uh, wait till you see what he gets for President's Day next year. I can't wait. <laughs> Flag Day is a big one. <laughs> oh, we love you, Brent. We love you guys. You can see the tears. <laughs> see, I had been picking on Aaron for like the first 10 episodes. So it kind of... <laughs> Comes full circle. The bottle pointed at you this episode. Aaron's Bring literally Aaron's literally wiping tears out of his eyes. Oh man. As long as it ends with a kiss, that's all I care about. Well not touching that one. Little <laughs> <kiss>. <laughs> oh man. Oh let's, man. Let's let's end. We <laughs> we are not accomplishing anything. We are not. Uh, we are not. But but we you're have trying. the opportunity. You're trying to accomplish yeah. things and get us back on track. And I, I'm not I, I am. Happen. But you know what? Hey, this is to be expected. 
we we jammed you full with with information <gasps> leading up to this uh, derailment, if you will. But still, there's not much else to talk about. You could dim and gloom yourself to the grave, but we are here. Hopefully, a lot of excitement past this. Hopefully, uh, you know the wine tastes a little better after wins. It tastes just like wine after a loss. So, you know, things are looking up. I expect to turn around quickly, very soon. And uh, all hope is not lost. I think it's going to be a fantastic uh, week ahead. I just hope we turn some of your frowns upside down. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, we love you guys. (laughs) Well, I mean, is this... Are you guys all good? We uh, we closing yeah, chat. I'm good. I'm good. You got any any nugget for us, Chad? Any and any closing? Uh, hey, if you listen this far, you get this special nugget type ordeal. Nah, no. Nah. If you listen this far, you're a real dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> Golly. Golly. Well, hey, big week ahead. Furman on Wednesday night. Typical strange five p.m. tip off. On Saturday, you got the doubleheader, a little basketball, football, 1230 on SEC alternate. Aaron Smith said if you got YouTube TV, you can figure it out. Do the, uh, you know, internet wazoo wazoo, figure it out. You get to watch that game. And then that bleeds right into a big time victory for the football team against Tulsa on the road. Rescheduled, 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 finally played. Hopefully. So a big week ahead. Hopefully, uh, warm up the oven, cool the milk as well. Aside from that, Aaron, anything else before we shut down? Chad, anything? No, I'm good. For for Aaron Smith and Uncle Daddy Chad, I'm Brent. Thank you. This was the Uncle BBP. Daddy. Uncle Daddy Chad. This was the BBP on BearcatJournal.com. <laughs>